Well, we are continuing this short series here in the book of Ruth. And if you want to follow along, we're going to be in two different passages here today. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, verses, uh, excuse me here, uh, verses 6 through 13. So that's Ruth chapter 3, 6 through 13. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. My notes just fell. I bet that's going to happen again. Uh, So anyway, continuing here in the book of Ruth, chapters 3 and 4, so starting with verse 6. So she went went down to the threshing floor and did according to all her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was laying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after a young man, whether rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true I am a close relative, however there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And then over to chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell this piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Um, First of all, I I just want to open up with a joke because that's the best way to start a sermon, isn't it? Open up with a joke. Uh, What was Boaz before he met Naomi? Ruthless. So that is partly where we get this, uh, this, this sermon series. You know, if you notice there, it says Ruthless. This was Bo- Boaz without Ruth. But on the other hand, one of the reasons it's named Ruthless is because you see in Naomi and Ruth, they will do anything to be redeemed. And, and you see, especially at the beginning of, of chapter 3, Naomi comes up with this idea. And, and, and you sort of, 
I, I'm trying to think how to word it because I, I don't, I don't want to demean anybody in the Scripture. I, when I say what I'm about to say, don't think I'm doing that. I'm just trying to give us a good idea of the kind of character that the writer is telling us about in Naomi and Ruth. It sort of reminds me, has anyone ever seen I Love Lucy? Yeah. Uh, Lucy and her friend Ethel, uh, you know, they're the, the cornerstones of comedy in that show. And almost every episode, one of them gets a bad idea and the other goes through with it with them. And I'm thinking especially of the episode where they decide that they're going to get jobs to make extra cash. And this is the most famous episode. So they go and get jobs and they get them at the chocolate factory. And, and if anybody's seen that episode, it really is a classic. They're trying to package the chocolates, but they keep going faster and faster, and finally they're trying to eat them all, and it just falls apart. Well, you sort of get that sense with Naomi and Ruth when Naomi is coming up with this plan for Ruth to be redeemed. Now, if you look back in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, Naomi has absolutely no hope left in her. In fact, when they come back to Bethlehem, Ruth is with her. And when people say, oh, it's Naomi. We grew up with her. We know who she is. She says, don't call me Naomi. Basically, she says, call me bitterness. Uh, call me sad. Call me despair. But don't call me Naomi. That's not my life anymore. So at the end of chapter 1, Naomi has absolutely no hope left. At the end of chapter 2, Naomi sees just a glimmer of hope that maybe, maybe something might happen with Boaz. And at the end of chapter 2, that glimmer of hope really just looks like, well, Boaz can feed us. As long as Ruth sticks close to Boaz, she can glean from his field, and, and then we can make it along. But now at the beginning of chapter 3, you sort of see the uh, I love Lucy in her come out, and she comes up with this idea that, you know, Ruth, Boaz really has taken a liking to you. Most men would have kicked you out of their field by now, but Boaz is letting you glean like you're a harvester, and he's feeding you every time you go, and every time you come back, you have more food. And so you see the wheels start to turn with Naomi, and so she comes up with this plan, well, how do we get Boaz to redeem us? And remember what we learned last week, Boaz is the man in the community. Boaz is the highest up on the food chain. Everybody knows Boaz. He is rich. He has the most fields. But then on top of it, he's a noble man. He does the right thing. And so with somebody like that, you don't want to embarrass them in front of everybody because then you yourself will be incredibly embarrassed. And so Naomi is trying to come up with a plan for Ruth that if Ruth, remember, she's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. So she's already a stranger in the land. She's already a foreigner. People don't really know her, but they know that she's loyal to Naomi. So Naomi is thinking, well, if Ruth goes and asks Boaz to redeem us, to marry Ruth in front of everybody, that could embarrass him. And if he says no in front of everybody, then nobody will want to participate with us. Nobody will want to be involved in our lives. So Naomi is trying to think, what, what is a way that we can approach Boaz without everybody knowing so that Boaz will not feel embarrassed in front of uh, the city? Are you following along with this? She's, she's trying to maintain a good face for Boaz, but she's also trying to get a husband for Ruth. 
And so the plan that she concocts is Ruth. Boaz is our closest kinsman. That means he's within the tribe. He's within their people uh, so they can marry one another. And she says, he's the closest to us. You should go and ask him to marry you. You should go and propose to Boaz tonight. And, and notice, too, she mentions to Ruth, you should go and propose, but you should also just tell him the situation that we're in, and he'll know what to do. So Naomi has two goals in mind, and she's hoping one of them would work out. The first goal is go and propose to Boaz. Go and ask Boaz to marry you, and then... He will redeem our whole family and we'll be set. We won't have to survive anymore. We can actually live. But if he chooses not to redeem you, then at least take direction from him. At least let him tell you what to do and we'll do that because he's the man in the community. He knows everybody. He knows what to do next. I'm thinking of uh, my, my grandpa Mel in this situation. He is somebody that... He, he actually, it, it's funny, he is two classes away from an associate's degree at his community college, and every year they send him a letter saying, you know, for just $300 a credit hour, for six credit hours, you can have your associate's degree. The dude's in his 70s, you know. He, what's he going to use an associate's degree for? So he laughs about it, but he's one of those guys that just seems to know everything. He just seems to always know where everybody's at, what everybody's doing. He's somebody that I show up, and he knows uh, local high school running back statistics. Who knows that? He doesn't have a kid in high school. He doesn't have a kid on the football team, but he just knows this stuff. So he's the kind of guy that if I have questions about anything, I go to him. Boaz is the same guy in the community. He's the kind of guy that if you don't know what to do, go to Boaz. He'll help you, help you out. He'll direct you. So that's Naomi's goal. One of two things, either Boaz will marry you or because you're not embarrassing him in front of the community, maybe he'll give you some direction. And so as always, Ruth does what Naomi directs and she goes uh, to meet with Boaz. But here's the thing. It's not in the daytime, it's at nighttime. And, and it's not out in public where people can see them. It's, it's where they, it's called the threshing floor. It's where they go and they take apart the barley and the wheat and they let the chaff blow away and then they put the barley and the wheat into its, uh, its different silos, its different places where they can then survive off of it. So this is the place where not only Boaz is, but everybody in the community is in that place. Nobody had their own threshing floor. You shared it as a community. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz at the threshing floor in the middle of the night. Ladies, I'm going to give you some free advice here. If you have a man that you want to marry, this is not the way to propose to him. I'm just throwing that out there right now. This is one of those examples where just because it's in Scripture doesn't mean we need to do it. Sure, you could propose in this way. I'm advising against it. This is a very cultural proposal that Ruth is enacting here. 
because she goes to the threshing floor in the middle of the night. And it says that Boaz goes into the threshing floor and he ate, he drank, his heart was merry. That means they had a good harvest. That means they they went through, they harvested everything. Boaz is going through and he's jotting down how much they have uh, after the harvest, how much they can live off of. And what he realizes when he looks at everything is, wow, we're doing really good this season. Things are going well. And so when Boaz goes to sleep at night, he's in a good mood. Another piece of free advice for you ladies that are going to propose, make sure your man is in a good mood. But anyway, so when he goes to the threshing floor at night, his heart is merry. He is, he is just, he's happy. He knows that things are going well. And as he's sleeping at night, Ruth comes and takes his blanket off of him and puts it on herself. Now, this is very much... Uh, foreshadow into the kind of marriage that people get into when they marry their spouse. You will never share a blanket with anybody. You will fight over that blanket every night for your whole life. And no matter how much you know it's your wife that's taking the blankets, she'll blame you. Sorry, getting personal here. But Ruth is doing this, and we look at it, and we say, boy, that's, that's a really odd proposal. You go to a man in the middle of the night, you take his blanket off of him, and you put it over yourself? What is Ruth doing here? Well, this is a cultural idiom that Ruth is demonstrating before Boaz. Let me give you an example. If you go to Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 16, God is talking about his covenant with his people. And what God says to his people is, I saw you naked, so I took my skirt or I took my garment and I put it over you. And I took, yourself, took you to myself. And what God is saying to his people is, I saw that you were naked and you had nothing, so I took my own clothes off and I covered you so that you wouldn't be shamed by your own nakedness. And not only did I cover you from your own nakedness, but I brought you into a relationship with me. So this is what God says to his people through the prophet Ezekiel. This was a cultural way of telling people, I need your help. It was a cultural way of people proposing to one another. So we have today that a man gets on one knee, right? A man gets on one knee, pulls out a rein, and says, will you marry me? And what that comes from is way back in the past uh, when knights were approaching noble women, they would bow to one knee in reverence to them. And we've just adopted that as a way of proposing, as a way of saying, I love you and I respect you. Well, back in the day, what they would say for the marriage is, I want to cover you. I want to provide for you. And we talked about this back in chapter 1. Back in that culture, women could barely own anything. Women were almost not allowed to take care of themselves. And so there was a dependence that they had on men. And so when a man entered into a relationship with a woman, it was very much a statement of, I will now cover you, I will now provide for you, I will take care of you. So when Ruth goes to the threshing floor and she takes Boaz's blanket off and covers herself, he wakes up and notices it's a woman and says, who's there? And it's Ruth. She says, 
take your garment and cover me. And she's taking his garment and covering herself. That's how desperate she is. She's not just saying, Boaz, I have nothing and I need you to help me. She's showing him what it would take. I have nothing in my life. I need you to cover me with your garment. And she's even showing him in that moment. And when she proposes this way, Boaz is just taken aback. Boaz sees it and he says, your kindness has extended uh, far beyond what it was before. And he says, you could have gone after any man in the community, whether rich or poor. You could have gone after a younger man, but you came after me. And Boaz is, you could say he's flattered in this moment that Ruth likes him. You could say in this moment that Boaz, remember we talked back in chapter 2 when he first sees Ruth and the butterflies come up and his heart beats a little bit? Now it's sort of like, oh, wow, she likes me too. And he says that to her, you like me too. And then he offers, he does exactly what Naomi was hoping for. First, he says, I want to marry you. I do. But then he does the other thing that Naomi wants, which is to give good advice. And he says to Ruth, I can redeem you. And we'll get to that in a little bit, what that means. He says, I can redeem you, but there's somebody closer. And he almost says, it may be more suitable if he redeem you, I need to go and check. And it's going to be better within our community if because of his closeness to you, he redeems you first. And, and he says, he's closer to you in relation. It's his responsibility. If I take that away from him, he could be shamed. And so what Boaz is doing is exactly what Naomi wants. He wants to marry her, and he promises her twice, I will marry you, but... Let me see if somebody else is able to do it. If they are, go that route. They will still take care of you. What we're seeing in this situation with Boaz is not only is he willing to help Ruth out, he wants to help Ruth out. If you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we have what's called the law of the kinsman redeemer. And this is a law that God set up for his people so that every name within Israel would have its name continue in generations to come, that no name, no family would be cut off from the land of Israel, and no name, no family would be taken advantage of by a fellow Israelite. And when God gives this law to his people, what he stipulates is, is that if a husband dies and is not able to give children to the wife, the closest relative is to come and provide her with children so that her children can live on the land and she won't have to give that land up. You see, what happened before Israelite times is if your husband died, you got nothing. Your, your land would sit empty. You maybe could sell your land, but then that was it. It wasn't your land anymore. You had to go live elsewhere. You had to live on the charity of other people. 
But God enacts this law of the kinsman redeemer so that when a woman's husband dies and she has no sons to pass the land on to to take care of her, the closest relative is to come, marry her, and provide her with kids that can take care of her. You've got to remember, back in this time, there were no pension plans. All right? There was no retirement account. This was it. Your, your pension, your retirement for end of life was have as many kids as possible and make them take care of you. That's the life that they lived in. And so when God comes and says, we're going to enact a redeemer, we're going to enact a person that is to come, and they're not only to redeem the land, but they're to redeem the family name. And when that lady has a son, that son now carries on his father's name and will carry on the land for his kids and their kids for generations to come. And i got to point out why this is so important in the book of Ruth. is because the book of Ruth takes place during the Judges period. And if you read through the book of Judges, it is a horrendous period in Israelite history. It is a period in Israelite history where they move farther and farther away from the law of God. They stop considering the law of God. They stop following the law of God. And so what ends up happening is enemies keep coming in and taking over their land. And they keep calling on God to save them, but they don't follow God's law. And now you have a man like Boaz who not only is willing to follow God's law, but he's willing to follow it to the T, to the point that he says, hey, the law says I can redeem you, but the law also says that it's the closest relative's responsibility. We need to check with him first. This is very important in the book of Ruth because it shows how righteous of a man Boaz is. It shows that Boaz knows the intent of God's law. You see, you can know God's law. You can know what God calls you to do, but do you understand the intent that God has behind it? This is where we get into the book of Galatians when Paul says that uh, uh, the, fruit of the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self -control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul points out in the New Testament is we have the Holy Spirit in our life bringing us the intent of the law so that we can live out the character of God here in this place. Boaz is living out the intent of the law. He sees that the law is meant to redeem families that need redemption, and he sees not only that that's what it's meant to do, he wants to do it. He wants to redeem Naomi and Ruth. He wants to take care of them. And so that's where Boaz says to Ruth, I want to marry you. But let me do it according to the law so that everything goes right. And when I redeem you, it'll be under God's protection. So, now into chapter 4. As, as he plans, he says, let me go talk to that relative. So he goes to the city, and, and like we see, he knows what the law is. He knows what he's supposed to do. So he waits at the city gate, and, uh, and he sees the relative pass by. And he says to him, hey, can I talk to you really quick? I, I just, really quick, I need to run something by you, is sort of the feeling that you get. And the relatives say, yeah, I can talk to you, Boaz, anything for you. And he says, okay, great, wait right here. And then he goes and gets 10 elders 
of the community, and he has them sit down. So now it's kind of like, ah, Boaz, did you need to talk to me about something quick or something important? And Boaz says, this is important. He says, you know Naomi that came back uh, a while ago, just before the harvest? You remember? Yeah, Naomi, yeah. And he says, well, you're the closest relative to Naomi. And I just need to ask you, do you plan to redeem Naomi's land? Now, really quick about the land. This is chapter 4. I know it's a small book, but we are now uh, three-quarters of the way through the book. We're into the fourth section of the book, and this is the first time we hear that Naomi owns land. Why is that important? Well, it's important because usually people cared more about land than they cared about anything else. Because if you had land, you could grow crops, you could raise livestock, you could have a, a life on that land. This is the first time we hear about land. And I believe what's happening is the writer of the book of Ruth does not want you to care about land more than you care about Ruth and Naomi. That's a reminder to our Christian life. How important is this world if we would value it over another person? We shouldn't do that. We're reminded regularly throughout Scripture, this world is going to burn. It's going to go away. It's going to fall apart. Whatever is going on in this world is not as important as the people that are in this world. And it's a reminder to us as Christians that, that we are called to save souls. We're called to take care of other people. So the writer of the book of Ruth is just now relaying to us that there's land but we didn't know about it because the writer doesn't care about it. The writer cares about Ruth and Naomi. And so Boaz mentions that there's land to redeem, and he says to the relative, do you want to redeem this land? And the relative says, yeah, I'll redeem it. That's not a problem. Uh, and so what comes with that is Naomi. That's fine. I can take care of Naomi. Well, this is where Boaz pulls out the switch. This is sort of a bait and switch that he does. He says, oh, that's wonderful. You can uh, take the land. Oh, by the way, when you buy the land, you also acquire Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. You remember her, the Moabite woman that came back with her? And if you, re if you acquire the land, you also acquire Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, you now have to redeem Ruth and give her children so that she can grow them in her father-in-law's name. Are you willing to do that? All of a sudden, the man hears that and goes, I thought it was just about the land. I thought I was just going to redeem the land that Naomi owns. And he thinks about it for a moment, and he offers, he says, you know... If I take this land and I take Ruth, it could jeopardize my own inheritance because now I'm taking over more than one piece of land, more than one family, and then my family may have to share some things. But he knows Boaz's intent. Boaz wants to redeem Ruth. Boaz doesn't care about the land, guys. He's got plenty of land. Remember, he went to bed on the threshing floor with a merry heart because he had a great harvest. He doesn't need any more land. He wants Ruth. This relative can see it and so says to him, you take her. I'm not able to redeem her. And then they do something really interesting in the following verses is they exchange sandals. It, it's the weirdest thing. I, my first thought when I read that was, are you the same size? 
You know, or, that would just bother me if I got into a contract with somebody here. I just sold my van a couple weeks ago. It would have been the weirdest thing if at the end of it I signed the, the title and then took my shoe off and gave it to him and he took his shoe off and that was it. More likely than not, what's happening here is Boaz is continuing with the intent of the law. Now, here's what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 25. If a man chooses not to redeem somebody, the elders are to call the widow to the city gate. She's to take her sandal off, but she doesn't exchange it with him. She slaps him in the face with it and spits on him. That is brutal. But the point of that, when God established that law, the point of it again was you are called to take care of my people. And and when he enacts that law, he says it is a shameful thing for you not to take care of your fellow Israelites in their time of need. But Boaz, knowing the intent of the law, more likely than not, traded sandals with the man as a symbol that he's not to be slapped in the face with a sandal. The exchange is meant to actually show honor, that he was honest, that he allowed Boaz to redeem Ruth and Naomi, that he allowed Boaz to take over. And it's now their symbol in the community when they look down and see that, hey, you change feet size or something? What's going on with your left foot? Oh, I, uh, I was supposed to redeem Ruth, but Boaz wanted to do it, so we exchanged sandals so I wouldn't get slapped in the face by her. Smart move. And so while the elders are there at the city gate and this exchange happens, he then turns to the elders. This dude doesn't waste any time. He then turns to the elders and he says, I'm marrying Ruth, okay? And, and they're, what? I thought, I thought you just like wanted the land or something. And we knew that Ruth had a crush on you and everything, but you want to marry her now? He says, yes, I would like to marry her today. Is that possible? And so the elders recognize it, and they're married. And they even call upon a blessing, and we'll get into this a little bit next week as we wrap this up, but they even call upon a blessing for Boaz and Ruth that they would multiply, that they would be as blessed as, as Isaac and, and Rebekah. So, so this is, and Isaac and Rebekah, that story is one of the greatest romantic stories of the Old Testament. And so when they call on a blessing for Boaz and Ruth, that their marriage would be blessed like Isaac and Rebekah, that is a big blessing to offer somebody in the community, and they offer it to them. So once again, we're at that point in Scripture where we ask the question, what does this have to do with me? I mean, we've already covered, we've already covered the fact that you shouldn't propose the way that Ruth does. I mean, it might work. I just really suggest against it. Well, the first is, and I already made mention of this just a moment ago, God's law is good. We are not. See, that, that's why Jesus came. Remember what Jesus said. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to enact the law. He came to explain it. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah 
God speaks through him and says, there will be a day where my people won't need to read the law. It'll be inscribed on their heart. It'll be to the point that they have it memorized in their heart and they'll just know what to do. Deuteronomy chapter 25 with the kinsman redeemer, we don't have to follow that law to the T today, but we do follow the intent, don't we? And we're called to as Christians to to look throughout the world, to look throughout our, our community and see what are the areas in this world that need redemption and what is God calling me to do about it? I think of uh, back in the 19th century, there was a big boom among Protestant churches to send out missionaries throughout the world. And, and what happened was in the 19th century, you really had a boom in understanding just how big and vast the world was. And so news was coming back to the American coast and, and people were hearing stories about, uh, about people in India and Africa and South America that don't know who Jesus is. And these reports were coming back to the local churches. Well, the local churches didn't have anything. And what started out as just a request for a little bit of money, people were saying, I will raise the funds. People were even standing up in the middle of service. I don't have my wedding band on today, but they would take their gold rings off and their gold jewelry that was passed on through generations and they would say, I don't need this. This is just an heirloom. It's just a thing that I wear. I don't need this. Here, melt this down, sell the gold, and use that gold to send missionaries across the world. The intent that the churches had was that I don't need anything in this life other than Jesus. Here, take that Go and spread the gospel throughout the world. This is where the the missionary boom happened in the 19th century is when people cared about the redemption of others. And we see this when, when we see revival services throughout the world. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is all of a sudden this fire that awakens in, in believers that they don't want to sit back and see other people suffer from sin and death. They want to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the intent that we have here in our lives today through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to places that we wouldn't normally go because that is where Jesus is already ministering and he wants us to participate. This is the life that we're called to, to go and offer redemption to the rest of the world. But in addition to that, This story is a foreshadow. Remember we talked about how human relationships can sometimes reflect the relationship that God has with us? This is one of those stories that it is a foreshadow as to what Jesus Christ has come and done in our world. You see, we were living at one point like Naomi and Ruth. We were just trying to survive. We were just trying to make it through. And then we heard about Jesus. And then Jesus came into the world. Remember when he was born and the angels came and sang and they said, peace will be wherever he goes, wherever God's favor rests. This is Jesus, the one who will save you from your sins. That's that's the story of Boaz and Ruth. Jesus didn't just come to redeem us because he was the only one that could redeem us. Jesus came to redeem us Because he wanted to. He wanted to come 
and give us life. This is the life that we've been called into. We have been redeemed. And what I mean by the word redeemed is fixed, healed, offered a second chance, given a new life to do things right. That's what we mean when we say redemption. We're given a new life now in Jesus Christ. And now, now the wonderful news is that we are called to do the same thing in the world. We are called to share this good news with others. And if you're ever feeling like you don't have enough, if you, if, and I'm sure, and I've been there too, in fact, some days I'm still there, where I feel, man, I, I just don't know if I have enough to really give to somebody. I, I don't know if I have enough information. I don't know enough about the Bible. Uh, I, you know, some of you might be sitting back saying, well, I'm not really good with people. Um, I have a really hard time telling people about Jesus. In South America, they've gone through just this massive explosion of evangelism over the last century. They have just been exploding down there. And one of the reasons they have is because their evangelism is ran by one simple rule. If you have enough to be saved, you have enough to lead others in salvation. Which means the moment that you become a Christian, you are then commissioned to go out and tell others how you became a Christian. Remember, it's called witnessing because your only goal is to tell others what you have witnessed in your own life. So again, as we leave this place, as we go out into our communities, we're asking Jesus to lead us to areas that need redemption. And we're called to share the redemption that's happened in our life with those that are in the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the redemption that you've given us. We thank you for that second chance that you've offered us in our life, that, that you have approached us and you've said to us, I want to be with you. I want to redeem you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work of redemption that you've done on the cross, that, that you died for our sins. You died so that we don't have to. And because you're raised from the dead, we now have power over death just as you do. Lord, we pray that you would give us the words to spread that news in our community. We pray, God, that you would give us those words to share with others so that they would know what it means to be redeemed. And God, we thank you that you would go through all of this work just to redeem us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.